Good evening, Mendocino County. This is John Horton, teacher at Willis Unified School District with this month's edition of Inside Education. I am substituting for Michelle Hutchins, County Supervisor of Schools, who is off air to follow the FCC regulations while she is an official candidate for her reelection. In her dedication to keep the show on the air, Superintendent Hutchins assisted with the production for tonight's show by helping craft questions, providing technical assistance, pre-recording, and editing the show for us. This show was pre-recorded on February 21st, 2022 in the MCOE Remote Studio in Ukiah, California. Tonight, we will be talking with Willis Teachers Associating Leaders about the potential of the mask mandate being lifted for schools. Governor Newsom recently announced that California will shift to an endemic approach to the coronavirus and the end to the indoor statewide mask mandate. This announcement was accompanied with the release of the California Smarter Plan, the next phase of California COVID-19 response. On February 28th, the state administration will be announcing what that means for schools. With tension mounting all over the state, Inside Education Topic Tonight reveals how two local teacher leaders react to the idea of this indoor mask mandate being lifted for our schools. Tonight I'm interviewing Tessa Ford, President of Willis Teachers Association and Brian Bowles, Chief Negotiator for Willis Teachers Association. First question, Ms. Ford. Would you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you teach and how you ended up as the President of the Willis Teachers Association? Really? Uh, after I had worked over at Bethel Grove for a couple of years, I reached tenure, wanted to know more about the union and what it, it uh, could do for me. And so I started volunteering. I became a site rep, a treasurer, a vice president, and then finally a president. Mr. Bowles, please share with us what you teach and how you became involved with the Willis Teachers Association. I teach uh two CTE pathways. One is fine woodworking and the other is construction at Willits High School. And I'm similar to Tessa, uh, except that I had, both my parents were teachers in Laytonville and my mom was a, a president of the union there. And so, you know, at the dinner table, I got a lot of uh, insight into how it works and the things that you do to, to make this, keep the school running. So uh, I continued that as I became a teacher and same as Tessa, that would work my way up through I've had a few stints as VP and president of our union as well. How do you feel the state and local elected leaders have handled the pandemic so far? I uh, think that we've done an excellent job for the most part. Um, we've had different tools. We've had different information at each step along the way. And um, I think decisions have been made with the information that they had to the best of our ability. That was Ms. Ford. Mr. Bowles, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I would agree. I think that, uh, you know, it's always been a moving target since day one. Uh, I remember the back in March when it first started, we thought, oh, it's going to be, you know, the, the, the general consensus was we have to take a two-week hiatus and come back. Um, my background is in biology, so I did not necessarily think that was going to be the case. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it hasn't been. Um, but again, for the most part, I think the state and our leadership has uh, 
use science to make do the best they can with what they had. So um, we can continue to learn from uh, what has worked and what has not in the future. Now. And do you feel the mitigation strategies used were effective? I believe they've been effective. Um, when they're not in place is when we seem to have uh, more outbreaks. Um, when the precautions aren't being used, we have higher rates of hospitalization. And um, I, I just uh, think that everything that we've tried to make it a safer environment for our students and our schools, um, it's, it's all been as pretty effective because when you think about it, only 1% of California schools have closed compared to the nationwide average of 12%. So I, I would have to say that our mitigation strategies have made an impact. Yeah, I would agree. I would take it a step further even and say that the testing is really what has allowed uh, us to continue to move forward in some state of normalcy. And I'm an athletic director as well. So we do a lot. We've done an incredible amount of testing and through the surge, we tested all of our athletes daily. Uh, and that allowed us to make sure that we weren't allowing the virus into a team scenario. And if you, you know, translate that team concept into the school, we've been doing the same thing, heavy testing at the beginning of the week uh, with those members who have been exposed to make sure that we're catching them in that Monday morning before they're going through the rest of the classes. So I think, I think testing has been a, a really important uh, aspect of keeping it, uh, you know, we can't keep it out 100%, but it's kept it at a level that is manageable at, at, you know, as best we can anyway. So, and I think the masking has actually helped too. You know, we get a lot of people saying uh, the schools are the safest place to be, which is why we want kids in the school. And that is absolutely the case. And I think what is not, you know, the, the reason why it's the safest place is not always brought up. And the reason it is, is because within our classrooms, our teachers, are the ones holding the boundaries. We're making sure that the kids are wearing the mask when they're supposed to. We're reminding them how to wear them properly. And so they're getting that positive feedback loop on how to stay safe. Um, and that may or may not be happening outside the district. And so I think that, you know, the combination of that and making sure that our kids and staff are safe has what allowed us to keep our, our whole district open as much as we have this, this year and last. Brian Bowles just answered, and he's a chief negotiator, negotiator for Willis Teachers Association. Has it been an easy or a struggle for teachers to enforce the mask mandate in schools? Has there been any conflict that has arisen, and what have teachers done to handle the potential tension? Has the conflict between, I mean, has the conflict been teacher to student or teacher to teacher or teacher to admin? May take that one, Tessa, or you want to start? Yeah. So I think this is uh, this will be helpful because Brian and I represent the primary and secondary schools. Uh, for primary, it was easier than many expected. The students were so eager to return to in-person that they were motivated for the most part to make sacrifices to get back to normal life. Um, most of the tensions came from parents wanting their children to get back to normal life. And Willits educators have faced a certain amount of personal hostility for uh, continuing to follow the science in regards to masking, testing, and distancing. 
our administrators have been incredibly supportive of students and, and our teachers this entire pandemic. What would you add to that, Brian? Yeah, I would say it's like anything else that we do as teachers. We, we do our best to role model and our staff, uh, knowing that the safety was important for both our staff and our, and our students, uh, role model the masking, right? And so when, you, when the kids see you doing it and, and respecting the rules and, and explaining why uh, it's important, then they're that much more likely to do it. And we, again, we had the, we had the backing of our administrators and each other really uh, to make sure that we had a, a united front on the importance of the masking. And it, bottom line is it came down to the safety of our students and their, our desire to stay in school. Um, in the very beginning of the year, we, we had a, a meeting from with teachers, administrators, and our superintendent, as well as a board member, and say, hey, we, we all want the school to be functioning. What do we need to put in place to keep it functioning throughout a year in the middle of this pandemic? And so, you know, uh, improved vaccination status, uh, masking, and um, and just having the same same story across the board to all the kids and parents and, and staff uh, was really important. And so we did that prior to the school starting. And I think that having everybody on the same page moving forward and being proactive with a solution is what allowed us to be successful with our masking. Uh, the, part of that question was, do we have any issues with parents? Um, our, when we uh, first set up that our MOU for safety, uh, we had uh, indoor and outdoor masking as part of that MOU. And as the state dropped the outdoor masking, our MOU allowed us to keep the students uh, in and staff masked outside. And the science behind that shows that it's not as effective as it is indoors. However, the nuts and bolts, and I think this is where we, we differed with, with our own reality than what the outside of the classroom understands is when you bring a, a you know 30 kids back into a classroom and they all don't have masks they all hit that door with no masks and then they go into the door and it's a it's a management issue as far as keeping them safe and again our goal is keeping them safe and so the masking outside really was important really because it's a 10 minute window where they could take the mask on and off really and so it allowed us to to keep them on and keep that that boundary where the masks were going to be on and off, on and off, or lost, et cetera, and taking out education time dealing with it, it really allowed us to do that. Our superintendent came to us and said our outdoor masking policy does not align with our current county uh, policies. Uh, are you willing to negotiate that? And we came to the table with them and we negotiated, I think, uh, a very science-driven and really respectful of the world we were in, right? We didn't want to turn it off right then because we had, we were at the beginning of the surge was coming, the Omicron surge was starting to come pre-Christmas and we didn't want to take it off and have it not available when we came back, when everybody had been meeting with each other. And so we, we basically looked forward when an appropriate date would be. We came up with uh, February 6th. Of course, at that point, we were still in the middle of Omicron um, and it didn't become as big of an issue. But that is when our MOU did change to allow for outdoor masking uh, to be dropped from our MOU. Uh, so I think that solidifies that one. Yes, that's Brian, well, Brian Bowles, Chief, Chief Negotiator for Willis Teacher Association. You're listening to Inside Education. My name is John Horton, and I am the substituting for Michelle Hudson's, our county superintendent of schools. 
Today, I'm interviewing Tessa Ford, Willis T Teachers Association President, and Brian Bowles, Willis Teacher Association Chief Negotiator. Where do the students and staff acquire masks? What type of masks are provided? Have there been any, have there been enough? Students and staff can get pickup masks at, in the office at each site. Some schools, they put them in the teachers' boxes. They are, they've been available completely in full. Um, we've had both surgical and N95 type masks in both adult and children's sizes. Um, the Mendocino County Office of Education has been instrumental in making sure that we're well stocked on our PPE. Do you think schools are safe places to work in today? Why or why not? Our schools are safe because so many are working tirelessly and endlessly to make sure of it. Our custodial staff has had so many additional tasks added to their daily schedule. Our cafeteria workers and bus drivers are impacted by so many changes they have had to make to ensure the safety of our students. Our administrators are filling in on all kinds of positions to keep our classes running. Our teachers, counselors, psychologists, and nurses are the bulwark that fends off disaster daily. Sometimes I wonder if our students even know the difference between how things are now compared to how they used to be, because for them, it's the new normal. All right. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I would, I would, uh, I would say everything you said and completely agree. The, uh, you know, from a testing point of view, uh, really, our our secretarial staff has really yes. had to up their game. I would say quadruple their workload uh, because they continue to do their their standard job, but they are also really the bulk of our testing staff, um, and that's what's allowed us to keep so many kids from bring, coming into the school. So we, we're catching. Uh, we're catching all the positive cases as they come in before they get in our classroom because of this uh, tremendous effort in our sec secretarial staff being mm -hmm. our testers. And so kudos to everybody, and, uh, but especially uh, we would not be running these schools uh, at, at any level of efficiency if it wasn't for our, our secretaries and custodial staff. You're listening to Inside Education. My name is John Horton, and I am the substituting for Michelle Hudson's, our county superintendent of schools. Today, I'm interviewing Tessa Ford, Willis T Teachers Association President, and Brian Bowles, Willis Teacher Association Chief Negotiator. The governor has created anticipation of the mask mandate being lifted sometime soon. On February 28th, there is, a ongoing, there is going to be an announcement that will clarify the governor's intention. What are your feelings about the mask mandates being lifted? Uh, is this where I get to cheer? Um, I, I'm pretty sure we're all ready for that to happen. This is what we've been working towards for a while. Um, we're going to continue counting on the governor to follow the science for school safety. Um, our positive case numbers are dropping. We can anticipate that trend to continue. Uh, there is still Easter break ahead and any weeks in which the weather might keep us indoors a lot. And uh, following the governor's new SMARTER acronym, uh, SHOTS, Masking, Awareness, Readiness, 
testing, education, and RX, which I imagine is for prescriptions. Um, we're going to continue to follow the science. And as Dr. Mark Gailey from California Health and Human Services reminded us, to remain humble to the unpredictability of this virus. So even as we get ready to fling our masks into the trash can, uh, we still have to stay aware and safe and whatever is going to continue to keep our schools open and running safely and efficiently. What do you think, Brian? Is my mic still on? I can't, my uh, screen blew shot up. Yes, your mic is still on. Okay. Um, so yeah, I would agree. I think, uh, you know, I have a, a slightly different take on it. My, my job as lead negotiator is to make sure that we're keeping our, our students and our staff safe. Um, and I look, you know, as I read articles across the globe, as people have, have thrown the masks up in the air and parade Denmark is an example of that. Um, they, we, they've seen their numbers go back up. And so I think, you know, there's a fine line between uh, politically taking the mask off and following the science of taking the mask off. And I want to just make sure that, um, again, being humble is a, is a good way of saying it, but realize that uh, this is a evolving virus and it continues to evolve and it will continue to evolve just like a regular cold and a regular flu does every year. And so we need to be ready and I would argue incredibly proactive about keeping our students safe. Uh, and if that means putting them back on when there's a, a new uh, and drastic change in the in the variants, then we need to be ready to do that. So that would be my only asterisk uh, beyond what uh, Tessa has said. But uh, I think we're all ready to take our masks off. We're all ready to go back to normal. But we we have to realize that uh, we're gonna we're gonna be living with COVID for years to come. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, with Cal OSHA setting the employee standard standard in the CDH them CDPH setting the student standard, there is possibility that masks could be required for employees longer than students. What are your thoughts on the possibility of that possibility? And what might, what might that do to the culture already established? Uh, Cal, can you explain to the audience Cal OSHA and CDPH? Okay, so Cal OSHA basically sets the standards for all of the, for all employees. So the California Department of Public Health sets the standards for all the public health standards that we have in California. Thank you. I just wanted to be sure the acronyms were clear uh, to myself as well as anybody listening. Um, if the evidence shows that it will keep our students the safest, then I imagine we'll continue to support it. In fact, my understanding of the entire purpose of wearing masks is you are protecting other people. And um, I would imagine that anybody who works in education has already demonstrated sufficiently their desire to keep others safest. Um, it, it could build perhaps a little bit of, of resentment um, but certainly our ultimate goal is to keep the schools open. And if that's going to make it happen, then that's what we'll have to do. Okay. Do you feel local public health officials should have the authority to set more restrictive rules than the state? 
Absolutely, because that's the definition of local control. It means making decisions based on local cases and data. Mendocino County is unique in lifestyle and politics, and we need to embrace our right to take care of our citizens according to our local needs. All right, have there been any students protesting or family protesting mass wearing in this, the Willis School? And if so, what's the same of what some of these uh, protests look like? Uh, speaking from the primary school level, um, we mostly just see forgetful unmasking, um, not very willful rebellion, whereas the secondary schools might have, have seen more of that. Brian, can you speak to that? I think the majority of the rebellion is really just probably not not wearing the mask properly and having to be you know uh, reminded to adjust them accordingly. Uh, we've had a, a very small uh, group of people that have been out in front of the high school. Uh, I think once um, in our administrator went out there and spoke with them, and they were doing every you know they were following the rules of, of their right to protest. Um, and I think that's part of part of our democracy that we live in. So that's not a not a bad thing. Um, and then also there's been uh, some vocal parents uh, at the board meeting as well at our board meetings. Um, again, uh, I welcome, welcome a change and a difference of opinion. Um, it's important to, to make sure that we, we keep our balance of understanding about what we should be doing for our students. Um, but I don't think any of it has been uh, out of bounds as far as disrespectful. And so I hope that into the future that continues to be uh, the case. So I, Really, nothing, nothing dramatic, especially not within our school site. You're listening to Inside Education. My name is John Horton, and I'm a substituting for Michelle Hutchins, County Superintendent of Schools, who is off air to adhere to FCC rules while running for re-election. Re I'm interviewing Tessa Ford, Willis Teacher Association President, and Brian Bowles, Chief Negotiator for Willis Teachers Association. We're discussing the potential effects of the mask mandate being lifted in schools. So um, what types of mitigation strategies do you think should be implemented in masks are no longer required, if masks are no longer required? I think the, Tess, I'll start with this one if you, that's all right. I think the important thing that we've been doing that has allowed us to continue uh, close to normal is testing and, and it's, it's a huge labor cost as far as just time. But I think it really has kept the virus from being able to spread dramatically and quickly through our school. And that, that, that decrease in the rate of spread is what has allowed us to, you know, keep our enough teachers in school to keep the classes open. We we've at our district, we have a, a very small substitute pool. And so when we max out, um, our ability to cover those teachers that may or may not be out with a flu, cold, or COVID, um, we decrease our ability to do a good job educating our students. And since that is our ultimate goal is doing the best we can with our students, it's important that we, we keep that virus from entering our classrooms and spreading at a rate that it's not sustainable to keeping the doors open for our school. I agree with that. I think the testing is absolutely the defining difference between whether we keep operating and stay open or not. Um, keeping the classrooms 
cleaned and disinfected, including our gyms and cafeterias and all the shared spaces that our students can be found in is also critical. And um, the hand washing is, is probably not going to go away for, for quite a while. As we move from a pandemic to an endemic category, we've learned a lot of things like uh, parents and teachers noticed that our surges of common colds and flus were reduced by wearing masks and washing hands. So I envision that sort of behavior to continue. The uh, airflow, the, the air filters, the air purifiers, the open windows, all of those are critical to keeping the virus out of our classrooms. And um, yeah, I just, I just would like to see custodial services beefed up to ensure that we keep staying on top of the cleaning and the disinfecting at peak levels. Yeah, I guess one other thing I would add to that when you say that is um, we don't have, we definitely don't have the, the number of bodies that we need to, can, to do this, you know, for even through the end of the year without it affecting the way our school function, our office sites function. And so um, in some way, either figuring out a way to get more, uh, more substitutes, which the governor has, has changed the rules on that, and it's helped, uh, but also uh, more helpful, more more staff being able to help with that, that testing. Um, you know, working with the local districts to figure out how to do that is also important. Once again, that was Tessa Ford and Brian Bowles. What do you want from the state administration, the governor, the California Department of Public Health? What can these leaders do to improve the conditions teachers are handling in the pandemic? Something that's uh, just occurred recently is the governor has, has reinstituted the uh, COVID sick days. Uh, and that, that is a huge relief to teachers because they only have, you know, an allotted number of sick days uh, anyway in a given year. And with COVID, especially not even if you don't get it, but the protocols that kept you from going to school because you're exposed uh, drastically decreases uh, the number of sick days you have uh, to the point a lot of we have some members that are at, at zero sick days, which then eats into their, their standard salary. And so opening that back up um, absolutely has helped. And um, I think that I'll stop with that. Go ahead, Tessa, from there. Yeah, I, I think that continuing to fund things like the testing and the masks and, and the air purifiers and hiring extra staff to handle the extra duties of every employee is, is what we need. Continue to fund it, continue to fill the positions, and we'll keep doing what we can. What can your public leaders do to, to best support you? Our local leaders, I think, are doing a, a good job uh, of supporting us, uh, both with, you know, supplying supplying the PPE that we need, supplying the support we need, but the uh, the real the real uh, help is to be proactive with asking what's going on at your your particular site and how can we how can we manage it right there and then as it's going on, and I think, uh, you know, we worked with. Our superintendent is Joe Aldridge, and we worked with him at the height of our surge to put in place uh, an improved protocol 
to make sure that we've got kids being tested, staff being tested uh, at the level that needed that we needed to keep our schools from shutting down because we were right at the brink. Uh, and if we had had a, just a few more teachers catch it at that time, we would have had to shut our entire district down. Uh, as it was, we ended up shutting two sites down for just three days. And that allowed us to continue to implement the, the new protocols that we went, that we agreed to uh, and keep our schools open. And so I think, uh, you know, being proactive, talking to the union members, both, uh, both our CSEA and WTA for us at the Willits level, um, it is very important to know and be able to, you know, react to what's occurring in real time at our sites. So, Ms. Ford, do you have anything to say about that? Uh, no, I, I agree that our local leaders have been phenomenal in helping everybody get through this. Okay. You're listening to Inside Education. My name is John Horton, and I am the substituting for Michelle Hudson's, our county superintendent of schools. Today, I'm interviewing Tessa Ford, Willis T Teachers Association president, and Brian Bowles, Willis Teacher Association chief negotiator. What can a community do to best support teachers in our schools right now? I believe that uh, supporting your child as a student and helping them navigate through the strangeness of these waters and still come out with a good education. Um, we need them to be doing what we've always asked parents to do, which is, is uh, to make sure that they're and sleeping and resting. And I better hand off this to Brian. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like sounds like there's a dog in the background. I wanted to chime yeah. in as well. Make make sure you feed your pets. I guess is the uh, the <laughs> thing in the background there. But I would say. Uh, you know, base, common sense things are important to continue to do. If your if your son or daughter has a temperature or a snuffy nose or all the you know standard standard um, you know cold and flu like symptoms and or a low grade fever, keep them home. Right. This is a time when it's it's better to be more conservative as far as uh, staying home and and do your due diligence there as a parent, and that allows us to to keep that from getting in and spreading to the rest of our classes and our staff. Uh, all of our, all of our teachers are incredibly interested in getting an education delivered to your, your son or daughter. And we have, now we have various new ways uh, of doing that with, with the technology that has come into play. In fact, this meeting we're having now, this interview is, is over zoom. And that is something that was not really uh, part of our reality two and a half years ago. So uh, support your kid academically, uh, Reach out to your teachers via email or phone, and um, and keep our keep our whole group of people healthy so we can continue to be in place and in in person teaching. Okay, Tessa, you want to go ahead and redo it. The best thing that that uh, the community can do the community can do to support our teachers is to make sure that um, our children are actually healthy when they come to school and don't cover it up with Tylenol. That's not gonna help anybody. Uh, I also think that the community needs to be supportive of whatever mandates are in place. Um, we don't always agree with the policy, but we should respect the 
position and the decisions that qualified people have to make. And again, have grace in all these situations. We are all sacrificing for the greater good. And I just ask that the community continue to understand and respect that that's what we're doing to keep the schools open. All right. Do you think there should be a class or curriculum on the facts behind COVID-19 to help offset the misinformation being spread by various media sources? Or should this be more broadly taught on how to best determine validity of news sources? Brian, why don't you take this? Yeah, I'll take that one. I, I think it's actually, uh, you know, the question is divided into two, but I think it's both is, is the right answer. I think we, as educators, we constantly want to uh, help our students understand the differences uh, in their different media sources as far as, you know, fact checking and realizing whether they're, you know, who did the study? Is there actually a, a place where you can find who did it? You know, things like that. So just the commonsensical approach to, is this a good source? Is this a, is this a, a quality place to get information? But um, specifically, the amount of information that I hear just in, in my classes, um, I, I'm on a constant, uh, you know, I teach woodshop, but I also now teach, you know, what a virus is, how it spreads, what are viral particles? No, they're not actually alive when they get, when you get the vaccine. All those small things that, you know, really are probably a best attacked in a standard biology class, but we don't have a whole campus-wide ability to have everybody in biology. And so I think a course, um, a district-wide course and a statewide course to really educate people on what a virus is, how it spreads, the importance and how masks work correctly uh, and why use why to use uh, a standard, uh, or I should say, a, you know, one that form fits your face versus a cloth mask, like a handkerchief, for instance, and the, and the actual size of a virus, right? People have a hard time uh, understanding that if you're, you know, a kindergarten kid, you don't have that, you don't have that background knowledge. And so I do think that that would, that would have been something that would have been really good proactively to do, you know, a year ago, even uh, to educate everybody and get a baseline understanding of it. And, you know, now is not too late to do that because, you know, we're going to continue to see uh, various, various diseases and colds come through um, throughout our lives. So. Thank you, Brian Bowles. Um, Tessa, would you like to also answer that question? Um, no. Okay. Thank you. All right. You're listening to the Inside Education. My name is John Horton, and I'm substituting for Michelle Hutchins, our county superintendent of schools. Today, I'm interviewing Tessa Ford, Willis Teacher Association president, president, and Brian Bowles, Willis Teacher Association chief negotiator. What do you hope to see as a result of the pandemic? What lessons do you think we're learning as a community resulting from the shared experience of this pandemic? Any words of wisdom of our hope you want to share? So there's a couple of questions in there. I think... Um, what I hope the result of the pandemic is, is that we learn that we learn that uh, learn to be flexible, both uh, with our, our use of our masks and vaccines, and and more importantly, flexible with each other and our difference of opinion. 
because it's okay to have that difference of opinion. We got to realize that we are all in this this boat together, paddling paddling upstream at some sometimes and and downstream at others. But really, we're here for the the kids, uh, and that's the most important thing to keep in the back of our mind and always always make decisions based on what is best for our for our students and their education. Um, there's a lot of positive things that have come out of it. I think one of the one of the most important is you know our statewide our nationwide ability to um, pivot and utilize uh, things like Zoom, the Zoom platform, um, Google Classroom has all drastically increased, um, you know, across all uh, classroom settings. So I was even able to teach Woodshop through through Zoom. Uh, obviously, there's a lot less power tools in there when we do it that way. But so those are those are positives. And I think it gives the teachers and the students one more uh, tool to put in their toolbox as far as uh, a way of getting to and accessing education. So uh, the other question on there, I believe, was um, what what did uh, we get from learning or what did we learn as a community? And I think within the community of our school district, we, re, we definitely rethought how important all the members of our staff are. Uh, we would absolutely not be here if we were not working together and everybody has put in uh, countless extra hours, um, both unions, all members of, and, and, uh, and also the people that aren't even part of it, right? Our substitute who don't have a union, uh, don't have any pool as to what their, their stake is in it, have all pulled up and, and really done an incredible job of keeping our school districts open uh, for the students. Thank you, Mr. Bowles. That was well said. Miss um, Ford, do you want to add anything to that? I hope to see as a result of the pandemic, children who are alive and healthy. I want to see our community restored. I want to see us educating. I want to see our resilience and grit pay off. I want to see us growing and blossoming in our potential. I'm hoping for a kinder, caring community as a result of our shared experience. Bridges have been built and burned the last two years. Let's restore and grow our trust and our relationships in the community. And the words of wisdom and hope more than anything, be kind, just be kind. Thank you. Excellent answer. You're listening to Inside Education. My name is John Horton, and I am the substituting for Michelle Hudson's, our county superintendent of schools. Today, I'm interviewing Tessa Ford, Willis Teachers Association president, and Brian Bowles, Willis Teacher Association chief negotiator. I have one more thing to ask. If it's anything that I didn't cover in my questions that you probably want to add, any other questions or anything or comments? What do you think, Brian? Uh, I think, I think one other thing that I, that this pandemic has taught me is how fragile our education system is as well. We don't have we don't have a lot of uh, of resources beyond what what we have locally, uh, especially in the in the short term. And so, uh, you know, I look I look into the future and I and I see a, a, a large number of teachers retiring. And a much smaller pool of teachers motivated to come into the profession. 
And so um, it needs to, we need to incentivize um, education and teaching as a profession. And so I don't, I don't have the answer for that, but uh, it is one of my only real worries heading into the future is, is a shortage of teachers uh, because of the, the burnout factor of, of what the last two years have done. And so I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm eternally hopeful. I love my job and I, I love coming in every day and teaching kids uh, how to build things with their hands. And I know that's true of the, all the staff that I work with. Uh, they absolutely love their job. And I want to make sure that we can continue to bring people into this profession that have the same uh, appreciation and love of it. Is it any way um, you two could give a two second pitch on why um, it's important for people to, to participate in education today? Tess, you want to go first? I'm thinking. Yeah, I am too. I was thrown at you for that reason. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, I'll, t- I'll say this. I think, uh, you know, as a, I've, I've been a coach for 20 years. I've been a teacher for 20 years. And the students and athletes that perform the best in either my classroom or uh, in the sporting f- events that I get to observe absolutely do better when they have the support of their families and their friends and their grandparents and all those people. And so uh, just being present is sometimes enough to bring a smile and encouragement to the, to the face of those athletes and, you know, a question at the dinner table or how's it going? What's your grades? Those kind of questions on a daily basis really pay dividends uh, to a student. Uh, the fact that they know someone's caring and, uh, and expect um, a higher standard than, than just, hi, how are you doing as you walk in the door? I think that is the best way to support your student and your student athletes is to be present and ask them how they're doing on a regular basis uh, and let them know how much you appreciate them. I think, uh, I think our best teachers do that on a regular basis. Um, and if we could, we could clone that uh, and, and spread that across our community uh, and no matter where you're at on that spectrum, just improve it, improve it, improve it. Um, it's not unlike reading to your child. Um, they may not even understand the words that you're saying, but that interaction at, at that young age uh, really helps uh, drive them to become lifelong readers and learners. And so that's my, that's my two cents on how to make a, a, better, a better student, a better student athlete. I totally agree about the life learning experience. Um, all, all of us, we interact with each other. We, we learn from each other. We experience things with each other. And uh, as a community, together, we could, you know, make a change. So that's, that's the way I look at it. Miss Ford, do you want to add to that? Certainly. Uh, education is not just sitting in a classroom listening to a teacher uh, talk or give notes or demonstrate. Education is about making connections, making connections in the world, making connections in your personal life, and how you're going to build relationships and make those connections in the future. I was a student in the teaching credential program when I realized that I was a light bulb moment junkie. And what I mean by that is when somebody gets something, it's so exciting they have made a connection. It's a connection that has meaning for them. And they're going to be able to apply apply that 
to something else going forward. So our system of education is really an opportunity to give our kids that chance to make connections and make meaning out of the world. If we don't have that, then, then they're so lim limited. It's not something that you can just look up on Google. Um, education is deep and rich and involves multiple subjects and mul multiple mindsets. And the way we're gonna have a benefit mindset in our community, in our society, is by making those connections that happen when you're getting an education. Excellent answer. Um, that concludes our show tonight. for tonight. This is John Horton with Inside Education. A big thanks to my guests tonight, Tessa Ford, Willis Teacher Association President, and Brian Bowles, Willis Teacher Association Chief Negotiator. And thank you to, to the County Superintendent, Michelle Hutchins, for her help with crafting this questions, offering technical assistance to record and edit our show this evening. Even though she is off air to adhere to FCC during the re-election campaign, Superintendent Hutchins is dedicated to keep keeping up, keeping this show on the air. With that, I thank you for listening to Community Supported Radio. Enjoy your evening. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.